Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Booze, Booms and Busts. My name is Boaz Shoshan and as always I'm joined by Sam Volkering where we can discuss market events and other financial news while at the same time quaffing a few beers, hopefully ones that we've not had before. Sam, how are you getting on? How Was your Christmas good? Let me know uh, how things have been as of course, uh, you know, we have just... Uh, it has been a festive weekend, so we've not been paying as much attention to the markets as uh, as we normally do. But you know, what's uh, what's going on with you? Yeah, well, I suppose when you say paying not much attention to markets, it would probably be more like paying no attention to markets. Um, I always find this time of the year great just to really switch off from uh, from all of that, which has meant drinking a lot, eating a lot, doing a few odd jobs around the house. Yeah which has meant uh, painting. It's definitely been some painting in there and some fixing of things to walls uh, and cooking, which is what Christmas was for me. A lot of cooking. My giant turkey went in the oven for a good three and a half hours. Uh, the roasties, it was, a, it was a feast to behold. That turkey fed us for three days straight. It was... Um, it was quite something. So uh, it's been it's been a good festive season, I must say. Oh well, I'm very pleased to hear it. I uh, over here in Scotland, I'm in Aberdeen currently. Uh, we actually managed to get a bit of snow in time for Christmas, which was uh, which was perfect. It's since since been washed away by uh, torrential rain. However, it was very nice to have uh, a bit of to have a white Christmas after all. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's been um, yeah, it's been interesting. It's been nice to be back, and it has been uh, interesting sort of being peripherally aware what's going on in the markets uh, at the same at the same time as uh, trying to turn off a bit from it uh, i mean you know there's sort of, sort of the elephant in the room with uh, you know bitcoin was going up by a thousand dollars a day and people were saying you know it's going to be <laughs> 31,000 per btc by december 31st with the awkward with the awkward <laughs> sort of uh, question what if it was it going to be on the 1st of january you know yeah. we're going up by 1000 per day um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of where we should probably start, uh, I mean, this is something that we're both aware of, at least. So we're not, not, we're not, not gonna, completely gonna, blind. No. Yeah, exactly. It's not, uh, it's not complete blind corner. Uh, but yeah, what, what do you make of what's going on there? I mean, who do you think is buying at this time? Is this the, the traditional BTC buyer who is a, um, you know, who is a missionary, goes home to their parents for Christmas, uh, sells <laughs> them on the dream of Satoshi Nakamoto? <laughs> And then gets them to invest some of that boomer money into uh, into BTC. I I, I heard that um, it was all the Asian markets, all the all the cultures that don't celebrate Christmas have just been trading during this period. So everyone that's been uh, you know on on festive period leave or or away or on you know lockdown holiday um, has pretty much been doing been doing nothing and it's just been all the pretty much the asian markets that have been trading on bitcoin which is which has pushed it higher and higher but i mean i don't know i, I think you you just sort of lose track after a while of, of who's buying or who's not buying and who's who's getting in and i i i just continuously find it so uh fascinating to see the number of people who who are changing their their tune uh, businesses and corporations and you know big asset managers that are marching to a very different uh, beat of a drum to what they were just a couple of years ago during the uh, 2017 bubble so to speak uh, uh, you know it's it's just it's just so interesting that it took Bitcoin going past its previous all-time high for the financial experts to consider that it wasn't um, some sort of scam or fad. Uh, and, and, and then at the same time, the irony is that the, the relation of Bitcoin to fiat money uh, is such that it's probably, well, in my view is that long-term, well after you and I have, have left this earth uh, and, and, and many others, is that Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies will, will supersede uh, fiat money. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, who's buying, I don't know. It, it's marching up in fair price, which is, which is nice. Um, but the, it's, it's like the, the matrix, the blue and the red pill, you know, it's, if, if you're, uh, if you exit the matrix, which, which is the, the traditional financial system, you'll realize that in the future, there will be no need to relate 
Bitcoin to fiat money at all. <laughs> I mean, that's the ultimate dream. Uh, that's I think that's the big picture for me at least. So. It, yeah, no, yeah. I, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely familiar with the, uh, with the, with that sort of uh, idea. I, for me, I do wonder. You know, there's always this thing about first mover advantage with things like, uh, for sure, with for things sure. like Bitcoin. Uh, but that, pre and the, there's a, you know, that assumes that development in Bitcoin is going on at a advanced enough level that it will become too good of an asset to use to uh, to regulate it out of existence and to, to try and ban it right so if this mm. is if bitcoin becomes effective and efficient enough and uh, you know leads to a positive you know growth in uh, a certain country's economy you know so loads of people in their financial center for example are using it or you know millennial startups and things like that like using it then you know the you're, you put the government in a bad position if they wanted to try and ban it or they wanted to try and uh, curtail its usage uh, but I, I i just wonder whether or not that development is going on to a, you know to a visible enough extent that um you know governments aren't going to try and curtail its use i think not that not that i think government trying to curtail its use is inherently actually bad for bitcoin because in that in that sense it is a uh, you know, it's a stamp of acknowledgement. I mean, this is like this is obviously a proper asset class now. If we're if we're actually take you know treating it like an investment, even if it's as a speculative one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I uh, it does it is the thing with Bitcoin, which I find interesting. It all comes back to this sort of time relationship people have with money. If it, you know, Saifidi and Amus and his whole idea that fiat money destroy you know makes people have a low time preference, whereas yep. Bitcoin makes people have a high time preference like gold was under sort of the gold standard, uh, yeah. where you know, that people value their time much more and, they and that changes their entire behavior with the rest of the world. So they're, they're not interested in consumerist uh, behaviors so much because they just want good stuff because they actually start valuing their time again. I'm probably, I'm probably kind of butchering this, uh, this metaphor for it. But I wonder, you know, when, when we're thinking of Bitcoin superseding, you know, or, um, you know, ascending above these, uh, the, the likes of fiat money and things like that. I, I just wonder if there is too much of a clash between the fiat system and the Bitcoin system, because, you know, Bitcoin is just completely opposite yep. to, yep. Uh, you know, to fiat. So whether or not people, uh, you know, whether or not you can supersede from something if you're completely different from it in the first place is, well, it's probably mm -hmm. a, a question that I'm not uh, philosophically educated enough to uh to uh, to really to really answer but sam oh but before we continue oh, we should yes. say what we're actually yeah. drinking right now um uh, personally i myself i'm on uh, you know this is made by uh, brooklyn brewing which is of course is a very large mainstream brand now uh, but this one i've not had before and it's called naranjito or naranjito i don't know exactly Ooh. how it's meant to be pronounced but it's an orange pale ale um, I'm always, I always got sort of a soft spot for people trying to shove citrus, especially oranges and stuff <laughs> into beer. So this is uh 4.5% orange pale ale. Uh, and so far it actually tastes, uh, yeah, I'd say it tastes pretty good. Comes in a bright orange can, as you would imagine. Um, and not too bad so far. Not too bad. What are you drinking? I, uh, I, I, I'm with you. I actually love, I love a good bit of orange just slid into anything as a, as a side yeah. note. Blood orange because it's even more bitter than uh, oh yeah than, than orange like whether it be gin or um, just anything or or, or beer I, I've always got a soft spot for it as well so I'm with you on that one uh, I'm drinking the uh, something from the Siren uh, Craft Brew Company uh, which we, again we've had a, a few from Siren before I don't I don't yep. I haven't had this one you may or may not I'm not sure but this one's called Be Even More Pacific. Uh, which is a Californian IPA, uh, and it's a it's a doozy. It's a seven point three. I'm on I'm on a couple of heavy ones here. I've got a seven point three percent, and then my second one is a seven. So it's it's not quite quantitative ease, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's it's potent enough so that for the football later on I'll be cruising. Uh, but yeah, so far so good. Be even more Pacific. Um, yeah, crisp, fresh, fruity all the things that I like in a, in an IPA, it's actually not, it's actually quite transparent as well, which, which I like, which is kind of rare for a stronger brew, but uh, off to a cracking start, to be honest with you from Siren Bruco. Yeah. I've definitely not had that before. That's be even more Pacific as in Pacific ocean. 
Yeah, yeah, that's now. I don't know if it's a play on words, as in be, and you know, it, instead of saying be even more specific, it's be even yeah. more Pacific. But it's uh, it, it's it looks like the can design's quite cool. It looks like there's a wave, so maybe it's I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it's actually. I mean, I would love to know the origins to the names of all the beers that we drink. It would be a fascinating story from these brewers. And we should reach out to some of them maybe and ask how they come up with their names. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's probably got a lot to do with the hops and, and what they use. But no, this is, this is a good one. This is, this is a really good one. But uh, yes, back to uh, the, the question at hand, uh, of the philosophical question of superseding fiat money. I, th- I, I always come back to the... I think I come back to the position of trust at, at the core, the, the probably the most important uh, feature or the most important aspect of any money, which is where, you know, hard so-called hard money like gold and Bitcoin uh, becomes quite more relevant is because I think with fiat money is that there's been an erosion of trust in it because of the constant devaluation of it through inflation, through uh, quantitative easing uh, strategies, money printing, particularly over the last 12 years now. And I think that the change is generational uh, that it's it's incrementally generational. So I think that each generation, there's further erosion of trust that sort of passes down through the ages. And I, I, I've always seen this, I've always seen Bitcoin, and this is from the get-go. I mean, you can go back. I've, I did some interviews back in 2014 uh, on, on a couple of US TV networks. And it's for me, it's always been a, a thing of, of Bitcoin being... Uh, a, a genuine revolution in what we consider money to be and 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 trust in in that money and that the 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 shift to that as a reliable global reserve currency i think is going to take it'll probably take a hundred years so you know maybe maybe even more but i think that it's something that will be around in a thousand years time Maybe, maybe in the shape that it is now, or maybe different again. But I, I've always seen it as one of those bigger picture things that won't necessarily that we won't see the end of. We'll we'll see that we are only like when we when you and I are on our deathbed or being uploaded, our consciousness uploaded to uh, Lakeview um, <laughs> afterlife or whatever um, that that this that that's that that's still the early stages of 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 what's happening with with sort of replacing fiat money so i i take a very deep 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 philosophical view on uh on the changes that this is going to force into society and and you know the ramifications of that are, are, are wide and far-fetched and, and and throw up a lot of debate and conjecture about things like you know, public services and taxes and how do all those sorts of things get they get catered for and, and taken and looked after and, you know, social security and unemployment benefits and all those sorts of things, you know, trying to look after people. Um, how does that get, get taken into account? And so, I mean, I don't have all the answers, but they're the sorts of things that we will be discussing and debating, I think, over the next 100,000 years. Do you ever read uh, The Sovereign Individual by uh, James Dell Davidson and Lord William Rees-Mogg? No, I haven't, no. Yeah, it was one of these, um, one of these books written in the 90s, uh, you know, William Rees-Mogg being, uh, you know, Jacob Rees-Mogg's dad. Yeah. Uh, and indeed, a former uh, editor of the Fleet Street Letter uh, over at South Bank Research. Uh, you know, very, I believe it was Alistair Campbell who said it was the most important book like of the you know of the of the age or whatever you know something you know it was sort of flippant um sort of quote or you know factoid like a you know what was it called a um what's the phrase i'm searching for you know just something small a you know like a buzz phrase 
Um, anyway, it doesn't it doesn't matter. But you know, it's a it's a great book. But it, it like was written in the nineties, and yeah. um, it was about talking about effectively like the Balkanization uh, or the destruction to some degree, which the internet and technology would bring about to society as we know it. And it's written in the early nineties. Uh, or even it might even be the late eighties, but I think it was the, I think it was the early nineties. Uh, and I've re- I haven't read all of it, but like cover to cover. Uh, but I've read I've read you know quite a, quite a bit of it. And it you know it's a fascinating take uh, that has effectively predicted so many things uh, that we see today. So uh, you know things like deep fakes, you know where videos mm-hmm. are getting uh, you know faked easily because just, they just just, just on that. Did you see the Queen deep fake that Channel Four did? No, what did they do? So you know how the queen, well, you, you, as you know, the, the queen does a you know queen's speech at Christmas time, yep. or whatever. Channel Four did a deep fake queen's speech. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure why they did it, but uh, you know, it probably you know playing on this whole you know issue of trust and what do you believe and fake news and stuff. Uh, it was shit for a start. <laughs> I think it was supposed to be Channel funny. Four, mate. It was, it, I mean, the deep fake was okay. You could tell it was a deep fake. Um, but for Channel 4, right. it, it was good. Uh, and it just was shit and not funny. But there was a fucking Queen deep fake done on Christmas Eve at the same time of the Queen's speech. So, I mean... Yeah, I mean, well, what's, what's the odds that some, like... Well, someone would have believed it. Someone would have believed right. it. Right, yeah, yeah, someone would have believed it. But what's the odds that, like, the ability to make a much better deep fake... Like it could have been done by like some kids today who just yeah. spends a lot of time on the internet, right? Yeah, they, they um, could have got. They you, know, could have you know, so like this kind of all played into it, right? The, the very, the very fact that the news trying to use this technology is like <laughs> is really bad at it, is it kind of speaks to the same theme, which is that all of these established institutions are getting destroyed by you know there's that what was it um was it uh was it Mark Andreessen who said that software is eating the world and that was in the yeah. early 2010. It was, you know, obviously completely true, but it's like it's almost like the internet is is eating every, you know, all of the all these old established sort of pillars uh, of society, um, and so the sovereign individual takes takes this view of, you know, these are all these technologies that are going to change the world, and it's going to empower the individual, and it's going to destroy the, um, you know, these established um, sort of forces. So, you know, he it you know predicted cryptocurrency by uh, you know by you know well over a decade. Mm. And uh, was well ahead of the time. Deepfakes is just one part of it. There are loads of things which it points to with you know, mistrust of these established institutions, the way it's going to change media, fake news, the, you know, the, um, you know, the rise and growth of these stories that don't actually exist and how they can be manipulated by, by certain actors. It's going to lead to distrust in all you know, media institutions, things like that. Um, you know, and it was written ages ago, and I, you know, I, highly, I highly recommend, uh, if you're listening mm. to this, if you would read, uh, I'm you can pick read. up pretty uh, pretty cheaply uh but think about it it's 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 a such a it's an interesting book because so much of it hasn't happened yet right so this is the only 90s right but there's so much it it makes such a bold prediction of what the future is going to look like that even though it was so right already we've, we're like we're barely you know we're barely into the ultimate sort of view it gives for what the world's going to look like because it you know ends up talking about you know the the rise of um of digital currency cryptocurrency and anonymous cryptocurrency is going to lead to the destruction of uh, the state as a whole, because it won't mm. be able to raise any tax revenue because everyone will be hiding their hiding their money inside these, uh, you know, effectively Monero, right? I mean, or any of the other private cryptos, um, and you know, and then so it sort of enters all of this, all these questions about well, who who's going to pay for the welfare, things like that. Um, but yeah, sovereign individual. It's an interesting. It's an interesting book, and you know, very much ahead of its time. And so it's. And on that note, with the media not being very good at sort of appreciating these things and uh, for what they are, as in this made some great predictions. You might not like them if you're you know pro state. You're sort of the um, if you're your average mainstream politician, right? This is not. This is not a good thing, <laughs> right? Uh, but just the the media's reaction to it is very telling as well. So you know you have, um, you know there are plenty of people that say that speak of the the sovereign individual as this insidious, destructive, like the anarchist's cookbook, pretty much. Even though all it does mm. is make predictions, it's not saying you know this is how we do it, right? It's just saying this is what's going to happen. 
Uh, and you have folks who say, you know, Jacob Rees-Mogg, you know, terrible person. Uh, he's, he's living by his dad's playbook, you know, the, the sovereign individual, which is all about, you know, anti-state this and anti-state that. Um, and sort of disregarding the fact that so much of this, is, this was correct. All it was was just highlighting these trends and then pulling them, you know, pulling them forward a bit yeah, and just seeing what they really out. need. Yeah. yeah, but it, it's, it's more nuanced than just extrapolating them out. It makes a very good case for each one, things like that. But just the way that you see people uh, take these things, and the media takes these things, uh, you know, a columnist and a, you know, opinion pieces and whatnot saying that uh, this, is a, this is a really bad book, when in fact it was, it's really just a very correct book in, you know, in a lot of regards. <laughs> well, we've, we've all learned media, media opinion pieces are, um, you know, nothing exactly to go by <laughs> but i think i think people confuse opinion piece with um fact far too much <laughs> mm. yeah and you yeah. know what the, i think the other thing as well is that and I, and I know this probably isn't what you intended when you said it but so the way that uh, people sometimes refer to and i haven't read the book and i but I, and i'm assuming that the this sort of idea that the internet uh destroys a lot of these systems i think we need i think it's i think it's a far more simpler than that i think the internet is merely a tool and it people destroy these systems um if if the state is to be destroyed if we are to you know fiat money is to be destroyed if we're to you know get away from uh you know authoritarian control if we do away with government or all these sorts of sorts of things it at the, at the crux of it all is not uh technology it's people and it's the technology that we that people have developed uh to achieve these goals which is merely it's merely this it's it's the gun it's it's the tool it's the it's the hammer it's whatever you want to call it uh but at the at the crux of it it's people and to me that says that if people are trying to tear down an institution or systems then perhaps there's something inherently wrong with those systems. If enough people believe in the same cause, then maybe there's, maybe there's something to it. You know, you can, you can, you can have false prophets and false idols and people get behind those to do things that aren't the right thing to do. That's happened for you know, thousands of years and that will happen for thousands more. Uh, but at the crux of all of it, it doesn't matter if there was an internet or not, if the internet didn't exist, then these, these sorts of things may, maybe took, maybe take longer to, to happen. Uh, but I, I think, I think at the crux of it all is, is just the very basic human elements of, of fear, trust, uh, you know, compassion, hope, greed, you know, or maybe just the, whatever the seven deadly sins are, <laughs> you know, but it's people that do these things. It's, it's not necessarily the technology that does them. Oh yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't mind uh, really the degree to which, uh, you know, things like the mainstream media are getting questioned and challenged mm. um, and the manner in which they are, you know, they're effectively being destroyed to a large degree by the internet, you know, Someone was just asking me the other day about like, you know, does it, it was, um, you know, the BAFTAs, they started doing with them for video games a while back, you know, quite a, yeah, quite a few yeah. years ago now, but you know, yeah. they started doing them again. And, you know, someone was asking me, all right, like, uh, do you know, like, yeah, have you, have you watched it this year? I was like, no, I, uh, you know, I haven't seen it, but you know, uh, but my response is like, why nobody is interested in, well, I say nobody. I mean, this is obviously a generalization, but when you think about it, the, the amount of people who are engaged with what the you know, BAFTA says about video games compared to their favorite YouTuber who plays lots of video games, who they trust and know. Like yeah, no one knows exactly. who's judging for BAFTA, right? Nobody cares right. either. Although it's just this kind of grand ceremony they like about it. But what's BAFTA compared to you know, some major YouTuber making their top 10 games of the year, right? I mean, what's, you know, what, which one of these is actually has the most impact? Which one of these has the most um effect especially on the market yeah. when you're talking about people who want to buy video games and yeah. there's things like bafta like you know who in the future like people that you know this year has accelerated all this stuff but you know if we're all just you know watching more you know spending more time consuming 
online content. Why is anyone going to care about the Oscars in the future, right? Is well, it, they, they, won't. they really, won't. Yeah, right. I mean, that, I, I think there's still some, like, people love the ceremony of it all. Like, they love all of the, you know, the celebrities getting yeah. dressed up in whatever, and, uh, you know, which is completely going to be lost on yeah, YouTube, right? Well, but, so there, I think there's, there's a couple of things in there that, that you mentioned, right, that I think are, are, are important. So you're right, you're absolutely right about the video game sort, sort of thing. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know who BAFTA has awarded, awarded any awards to in the video game space, but I saw an article on The Verge the other day about the 20 best um, PlayStation games uh, of 2020. And I was like, oh, I want to see that. Um, so, you know, because The Verge is one of those sites that I go to that I, I, I consider to be a trusted source on at least sort of mainstream uh, technology things. Um, and then, so with the Oscars, so I, I've, I've, I've gone through this thought process a few times now about how long the Oscars will survive because I don't think that they will continue on much past another five, ten years maybe. Because people, like you say, people, I think, are getting sick and tired of this idea of these uber-wealthy uh, elites. I don't think people have an issue with movie stars. I just think people have an issue with these hidden, shadowy uh, judging panels awarding prizes to people that uh, are, are far in excess of beyond anything that they'll consider. Whereas like you say, you know, their favorite YouTuber holds far more sway than the Hollywood foreign press or Hollywood. What is it? The Hollywood. Um, oh God. What is it? Um, or the Academy Award. Yeah. Like, the, well, the, 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 Academy the Hollywood Award. press or whatever they, the, the judging panel that they use. Um, and, and so that you'll probably end up with like uh, an alternative kind of Oscars where it'll be like a selection of YouTubers um, chooses their favorite movies through the year or something like that. And that will end up getting more viewers. So I think we'll see a shift in that, but I just think as well as, as that is, it's just people's curiosity. People just want to know what someone else thinks about something that they might be interested in. And in that sense, there will always be a market for judging rating so when you think like when you think about baftas or oscars right it's really just an uber rating it's like is it have they given it one star or have they given it five star uh, or, or an airbnb rating you know has it been a good guest or a bad guest um and people just want to know what someone else thinks before they make a decision on sometimes what they think and that's not a criticism of people a lot of people want to receive that kind of guidance uh, on, on, you know, just sort of menial kind of things. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so for me, I think, um, I think the, there's that there's an increasing disparity or it feels to me as an increasing disparity with journalists ultimately. And like the people who write articles for the verge, for example, and the verges audience, like, so, you know, there's a big sort of, you know, we've seen this quite a few times, like the whole Gamergate scandal kind of brought up yeah. a lot of it. There's a lot of, where there was sort of journal versus consumer uh, angst was just going on where there were, you know, there were people hating journalists, there were journalists attacking their own audience, uh, all this kind of thing. But like when you go on like Rotten Tomatoes, for example, and you'll find yeah. with some movies, they'll get really high critic reviews. Yeah. Yeah. And then the audience think it's absolute dog shit, right? Yeah, I love and that. I love that. Right, you find other ones where it's the complete other way around. Like, yeah, I remember, just switch. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, what is so? What is going on there? What do you? What is? What are we actually seeing with that? I feel like there is more. It's almost contempt now. I mean, I it's, I certainly feel contempt. So you know, maybe I am, maybe I'm sort of overdoing it here. But I feel contempt for the kind of like movie video game music critic like the people who are employed to be a critic of that and i think we're seeing that to a, uh, some degree when you see these big disparities in ratings where i don't think we would have you would have seen that before or maybe it's simply because the internet's given everyone a platform to to say what they think you know this has always that. existed right yeah. right i i wonder if there's almost the i i wonder if there's you know, the sort of the group think of the, you know, the movie critic or whatever. And what was it? There was it uh, First Man, 
you know, the one which had uh, Ryan Gosling as oh, yeah. Neil Armstrong, for example. Yeah. That was one of these movies where critics thought it was the bee's knees and the audience mm. thought it was crap. And then <laughs> there was another one, uh, what was it, Hunter Killer with Gerard Butler, you know, the, uh, yeah. the submarine thriller where like icebergs don't, that, yeah. like there's barely anything under the water. It's complete nonsense. Yeah. But, you know, it was, it was an enjoyable movie. Uh, and the critics panned it, obviously, and the audience loved it. Um, you know, that kind of thing. I wonder if it's going in this, where people are just not caring as much. So you're talking about like superseding, uh, you know, Bitcoin superseding things like, like fiat money. I feel that the internet is causing people to sort of supersede to them to go or simply, or succeed maybe <laughs> from <laughs> um, the existing sort of online establishment. So where you have mm. journalism, you have people rating other things. And, you know, the critics are being su superseded by the audience, I think. Um, well, I think that you, is so you, just... you're right. You're absolutely right. Because everybody now has, because everybody has a platform, everybody can be a critic. And everybody can be a journalist. And everybody yeah. can be a stock analyst. And people have got the capacity to do things now because of the internet that previously they never did because they didn't have a, a, a way to reach enough people that, so a journalist had had the broadsheet or they had, you know, whatever the magazine was, they had circulation because the only way that they could be heard or seen was by people picking up that publication. And the only way that you could then get your content in that publication was to work for them. So Joe blogs down the street, if he didn't work for the paper, he was never going to get his voice heard by a hundred thousand or more people. Uh, same with a critic, right? You know, if you, 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 they go to a movie, watch it, uh, review it. And, and it appears in, you know, one of the print media that, that they used to do. But now, uh, you know, like you say, someone can reach a hundred thousand people better than some journalists or critics can now, because yeah. for some reason that the people find Joe blogs more interesting for, you know, for whatever reason that that might be. So I, uh, I you know, I, and you're right. And, and th so this also plays out somewhat into what we've seen a lot this year in the financial markets around a lot of, it's it, it's difficult to describe, but it's basically unqualified, unregulated financial advice through social media channels by people with no education or background that a lot of people take heed of. Now, I'm not saying it's necessarily right or wrong. Uh, there are elements of risk that obviously need to be considered with all kinds of investment, I suppose, but it's it's almost like the same things happening now in financial advice is that there everyone's got a platform to jump online and say what they think or what they hate about a stock or what they think it's going to do and it's a matter of who's who's the trusted source now where do you like who who do you who do you believe in who do you follow and it, i think it's going to ultimately come down to those that have got a record <laughs> Of, of success or failure or or whatever it might be or but it's it's weird right I, I think i see all of that creeping into far more white collar kind of professions and and that sort of thing yeah 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 there was the uh with like TikTok. portnoy right like dave portnoy fuck me yeah 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 big time <laughs> The uh, the rise of the you know tick the I think there's a Twitter mm. account just called like TikTok investors right where it's yeah just, TikTok you know it's just kids giving all this stock tips man uh, based it's wild on, it is it is wild yeah um, yeah and yeah it's a it's a it's quite a phenomenon I wonder though because there's another part of this because it's it's very egalitarian right so uh, so you know to in a lot of ways, it's a great thing. That's why I really don't mind it. You have all these sort of establishment yeah. Um, yeah. or established powers, like in the press, where if you knew the right people, you would be able, there's a chance that you'd be able to get a job and get a platform, which yeah. nobody kind of like, which, which previously, you know, which you may not really have had to do much for. Whereas on the internet, people who are actually good 
at you know at presenting themselves and presenting information can rise to a huge amount of influence and gather a great platform without uh, you know without having to you know grease any palms effectively without having yeah. to know the right people etc which i which i'm i'm very much on board with and that's why when i hear journalists moaning about the fact that you know they're not that you know they're you know they're the, the you know big newspapers are laying off loads of people you know um i really like i think they've kind of only themselves to blame like they're not they're not serving what people want they're not giving people what they want um, mm. And, you know, at the same time, sort of seeing themselves as this, um, you know, this, this element of democracy that is required, you know, that we are, we're the gatekeepers of information. I really don't like, they can cry me a river. But then at the same time, it's not, but it doesn't only go in that direction where it empowers the individual. So like with YouTube, I think it was maybe a year, maybe two years ago when they changed all the advertising rules. Mm. And effectively, it made it so that smaller YouTubers who were relying on it for, for money, right? Uh, you know, we'll get, you know, they got, they got killed effectively. And only the larger YouTubers were the ones who could manage to make money. And even they were going massively into selling merch in order to, you know, to maintain their, their, you know, wealthy lifestyles and things. And so it made this sort of similar, um, you know, wealth divide as it were, you know, just sort of income divide from people who just used YouTube a lot. Um, or, you know, we're power users of YouTube and creating content, it created that similar gap between people who have a really big platform getting all the money or getting at least more, like more money than people who were smaller ones. And so, you know, the, the influence of the likes of YouTube, which, you know, Google, ultimately, um, that, yeah, that plays into it where it's like they, like YouTube is now the gatekeeper of information, right? They could be the ones who decide who succeeds and who doesn't. Um, and what information is is permitted and which isn't, and there's been plenty of that already with you know the manner in which the search al algorithm works and uh, things like that with Google and YouTube and Facebook. You know, all of them are doing it now, where they are becoming these arbiters. And so it's not all this libertarian dream because you, it's almost like there's one controlling force has been replaced, or to to a, to a lesser degree perhaps. Uh, than it was previously. Um, but by the way, I, I, we haven't actually rated our first beer. I myself am oh, well yes. into my second one, Sam. Um, I think for Brooklyn Naranjito or Naranjito, I don't know how it's meant to be pronounced, uh, I would give this, uh, with triple A being worst and triple B being best, I think I would give this a, I'd give this an A plus. A plus. Mm, yeah, nice. not, not bad. Nothing, uh, nothing special, but it is nice and orangey. And uh, yeah, here's the spot. Right. Well, when it comes to the be even more Pacific uh, from Siren Craft Brew, uh, I really enjoyed that. Like that was that was really really good. Um, Seven point three percent, so it's nice and strong. It was really super easy to drink, just crisp. Like I said, it was it was quite quite sort of clear. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it was a great fruity kind of aroma to it. Uh, it yeah, it was a. I haven't had. I, I, from what I can remember, I can't remember a lot of Californian IPAs. I didn't even know Californian IPA was kind of a thing, uh, but I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, that's one of the better ones I've had for some time. Um. I'm tossing up. I'm tossing up. This is this is going up into the double Bs for me. Uh, I'm just trying to figure wow. out if it's, if it's a double B plus or if it's a double B. Oh, I I you know what? I I'm going to give that a double B plus. That's that was one of the best beers I've had for some time. I'm not going to lie. And I've and I and, I, and this is coming off the back of a Christmas where I've drunk a shit ton of of, of booze. So <laughs> for me to, to for me to now have a beer and be like, wow, that was really good, uh, is is quite something, I think. Yeah, I need to get my my hands on some of this stuff, be even more Pacific. Because I do like Siren yeah. already. And it has a yeah, it sounds great. So they I tell you what, sirens um... seem to have a knack for doing quality beer. They they seem to always deliver the goods, or most of the time deliver the goods. Yeah, more more often than not, certainly. Um, yeah, the one I'm on at the moment is from Williams Brothers, uh, which is a, a Scottish brewery, very very common in Scotland. Williams Brothers. This one is kind of 
um, yeah, this is called Caesar Augustus, and it Ooh, is a lager a IPA hybrid. Holy which is, crap! Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, what was it, it called? Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus. What a name! Yeah, lager IPA hybrid, revolutionary refreshment. The label <laughs> says. Uh, this is a four point one percent lager IPA hybrid. Um, yeah. Uh, I've uh, yeah, I'm having a bit of this. <laughs> By the way, yeah, on the on this bottle, right? It says the UK Chief Medical Officers, officers plural, and that's capitalized. Recommend <laughs> adults do not regularly drink more than fourteen units per week. I've, did we normally get that on beer cans and bottles? Have I just not been paying attention? Um, you always you always get the unit number. I, yeah, I don't yeah. ever. I don't ever recall a, a, a full blown warning though. That seems to be mm. excessive. Um, well, maybe I, required in Scotland. Oh no! Well, well, no. So, okay. So, well, so this is okay. I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll get I'll get to a point in a minute. I'm. Hang on. Finish off what you, you have. Anything more to say about yours, and then I'll crack on because I want. No, I want no, to. No. Okay. So my second beer is called Citra Dreams, which is a double dry hopped hazy IPA from the nice. Captain Lawrence Brewing Company. Now, I, I this is my first beer from Captain Lawrence Brewing Company. Seven um, percent, but so so here on this one, it actually has got a uh, a government warning. Um, and it says, according to the Surgeon General, women should not drink alcoholic beverages during pregnancy because of the risk of birth defects. That's number one. There's a second one. Okay. Number two, consumption of alcoholic beverages impairs your ability to drive a car or operate machinery and may cause health problems. So it's, right. kind, of a, it's kind of a warning. <laughs> yeah, damn. I think this is oh, this yeah. American. I think this is American. Yes, yeah, that's the thing. They've got a surgeon general, right? Yeah, so like, this is brewed and canned by Captain Lawrence Brewing Company, Elmsford. See, Elmsford sounds like it's in the UK, but it says Elmsford yeah. NY, so it must be New York. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Yeah, see, that's yeah. the thing. So that, that thing about the UK chief medical officer, like that sounds really American because they're always mm. on about, I'm the surgeon general and I approve mm. this message, right? Yeah, that's weird. yeah, exactly. Weird. Oh, well. Maybe maybe Williams brothers are anticipating you know a uh, uh, us to be a bit more American, which is well, uh, you know. mate. But the, the Brexit thing, so we may. I mean, it'd be it'd be wrong not to just a little bit talk about it. But it's it's like it's 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 a, the deal's done. It's happening. I think Scotland's still pissed off about it, but they Scotland Scotland seems Nicola seems to be offended by everything, uh, yeah. and uh, I you know what. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not going to play out like this, but um, imagine imagine like now that it's sort of free from the shackles of EU bureaucracy, uh, Britain becomes properly Americanized. <laughs> it's it's uh, I, I just get the feeling that now that that those shackles have been shaken free, that perhaps um, with some uh, trade deals and and so forth with the United States of America. Um, that Britain becomes as Americanized country as Australia is, and and most people don't realize it, but Australia is actually very Americanized. I mean, for God's sake, we call we call pants pants, where you call pants trousers. So I mean, and and we even say yogurt. Apparently over here it's yogurt, but you know, weird, weird. Could you yeah. imagine if if everyone Brit started saying yogurt and pants? <laughs> well, I say no, I say yogurt. I think. Uh... Yeah, I don't. I think there no, no, no. Is, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You just said yogurt. Yogurt, yes. Yeah, no, it's yogurt. No, nah, see, that's the thing. See, see, yeah. this is the but thing, there are right? Plenty this, of Brits. There are plenty of Brits who say that. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I get no. But interestingly, Sam, I mean, this probably merits its own podcast. We're not getting on a bit for time, but no, that's one of my um, sort of one of the big investment theses that I've been working on is what um, Anglo-America kind of looks yeah. like. Yeah. You know, yeah. I had a joke with uh, with Nikolai Hubble about what you know what we were you know our well, our colleague Nikolai Hubble likes to uh, likes to you know imagine 
you know, sort of, uh, you know, what, how would things be different if uh, geographical boundaries were different and stuff like that? But, you know, we had a, because I, I, I've been thinking for, for a while that what Brexit means is uh, ultimately a much closer relationship between the US and America. And a lot of people yeah. really don't like that because a lot of people hate America in this country, um, you know, for reasons uh, yeah, which I think are ultimately, they're not, they're not that <laughs> well-founded ultimately when you consider our what the alternatives are. Uh, so, you know, this is an American world. We just live in it. Um, and, you know, for all America is, it could be an awful lot worse. Uh, so I think the US-UK relationship is ultimately going to get a lot closer back together, uh, yeah, which great. I find quite interesting because you've got the, you know, it's almost like, you know, a family reunion to some degree. You know, we're <laughs> the, uh, the Brit Britain was, of course, like sort of the, you know, the, you know, America is an offshoot of Britain. America is the estranged and, son. <laughs> yeah, uh, which has now become a global superpower while yeah. its, its uh, dad has become old and frail to some degree <laughs> and has been hanging around with some of the wrong people. But now he wants to get back together with him, right? <laughs> uh, but like all, there's all these US-UK ties already that exist, uh, like the city of London being this massive, effectively like the, the issuing center for US dollars globally. Like the city is, there, there's no comparison, not New York, not Paris, not Frankfurt, when it comes to uh, dollar creation, dollar lending, uh, dollar conversion. Um, and of course, all of our, you know, all of the what remains of Britain's colonies, when you're looking at the likes of Bermuda and Grand Cayman, right? these are all offshore dollar centers. And this is something that's known, but it's not spoken about very much uh, by people in power, because, you know, it's a strategic relationship that we have. It's not something that we want people to vote on, right? This is not, you know, this is something that, uh, you know, it's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, we've got all these other relationships, you know, so I, th I believe it's next year now. Uh, 2021 will be the first time uh, where we're actually going to have on flying off one of our uh, Royal Navy carriers. We are actually going to have the United States Marine Corps pilots flying their F-35. So we'll be we'll be the carrier, and they will be flying off it in order to do joint operations with them uh, all around the world. Now, a lot of people like don't like people don't seem to think about this very much, but I think that U.S. U.K. relationship is going to be a lot closer. And some people, you know, people aren't going to like it. So maybe that's why. It's not being spoken about quite so much, but you know the you know one of the things we, we you know we joke about like you know the if if the UK were to become a state of America, yeah, <laughs> what it would be called. So if you can imagine that uh, the city of London becomes the thirteenth uh, district of the Federal Reserve System, so it becomes <laughs> District Thirteen kind of thing, uh, and you can have you know so House of Lords would be uh, our uh, Senate and the you know Westminster Parliament would become our, our Congress, as it were. Royal family would get uh, permanent voting rights on the Electoral College. You know, th things like that. You, know, you can go- Would they, they call Essex uh, Los Essex or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, I mean, uh, but what would the UK be called? Because Nikolai wanted to call it East Hawaii. Uh, just with, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the, the weather's not quite so good. I, I'm not sure our Hawaiian shirts would be quite so nice. Um, but yeah, there's there's so much you know, so much that could be discussed on that with that US UK thing. Because uh, yeah. if you are listening to this, I strongly recommend if you and if you have a Spotify account though, it's, it's available on YouTube. But I do strongly recommend looking up a song uh, called "To Anacreon in Heaven," which is uh, which has been resung uh, by a chap. I believe his name is John Townley. His sur surname is Townley, certainly. Uh, and "To Anacreon in Heaven" is actually the original. American national anthem, uh, uh, except people don't. So the words are completely different. To an accurate, it's actually a British drinking song, but the tune was ah, so popular right. that uh, pretty much a hundred years later, uh, when the Americans were looking for an anthem, they had the words, they had the lyrics, but they um, they needed a good tune to put it to, and so they put it to to an Acreon in heaven, which was actually the uh, you know just a song that was sung by a club called the Anacreon Society, which was for uh, artists and young professionals and musicians and that. And they got together and they uh, they drank a load. I mean, it was effectively just a drinking club, uh, and they eventually got kicked out. Kind of but club. the song that they sang at every meeting was called "To Anacreon in Heaven," and it's you know it's actually a great tune. I would thoroughly recommend it. But it is interesting, you know. I think that I think just that fact of how America's national anthem is really a British drinking song. It speaks volumes of what 
the weird relationship that we have with America in this country mm. is. And I think it's something that we're going to return to in the future. Uh, if you actually look at the original the United States flag, you'll actually find that originally it was effectively the flag of the East India Company. So the, yeah. you know, the flag as we know it now with the Star Spangled Banner, uh, if you take away the stars and you just put a Union Jack there, I mean, that was actually the original American flag. Not much yeah. has actually changed that much. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think we'll... Uh, Got all the hallmarks the of the Australian flag, <laughs> just with yeah. stripes instead <laughs> of stars. Yeah, another country with which we have, of course, a close relationship with. Um, yeah, in the, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what US-UK trade looks like. Uh, because, of course, America has most of the leverage in that, uh, in that argument because, of course, they are the, the larger economy. But how it looks like and the kind of opportunities it might bring for um, UK-US trade is a very interesting Yeah, I, I think the big thing to come out of it will be the opportunity for British business to reach the, U the US markets in a much more accessible way. I think that's I think and I think that's a better market for the UK to access uh than than Europe. Um and look, I, I get people want to do you know I, I, I actually think people's predominant reason for wanting to stay a part of the European Union is just so that they could feel like if they wanted, they could go and live in Spain or France uh if they if they felt like it. Um, I don't actually see there being great economic um, understanding behind the reason for being tethered to the EU in the way that the UK was. But, you know, that's just my view on it. Um, no, and I, I think I, I, I think this, this is going to be one of the best things economically for the UK that has ever happened uh, for the country. It's, it's, it's absolutely taking back that kind of control is 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 so important and every other major economic power uh does that kind of thing is they look after themselves and that's not being ignorant to the rest of the world that's just looking after the country that you are with but that's not shutting off you know tr trade with other countries it's just looking after yourselves first which is not the worst thing in the world uh anyway uh, that's another topic in no, no, I know, but I, 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 I definitely agree with that, Sam. I think the uh, uh, certainly from the millennial generation, I, I feel a lot of the, a lot of the, um, a lot of the, well, how should I put it? The sort of the driving. I've been force. accused of being a right-wing male privileged wanker because of my views on this. So you know. <laughs> well, people who are going to call you male privileged would probably call you that anyway, Sam. So don't, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, but I think for, you know, for my generation, like with the millennials, I mean, I think there are a, lot, a lot of the millennial resentment towards Brexit is rooted in self-interest about going to study and to live yeah. in Europe. I really yeah. think that is, uh, yeah. some people don't see, they seem to feel very, you know, they just don't want to fill in any more forms, right? I mean, yeah. that is not a price that they are willing to pay mm -hmm. if it means uh, lending your country greater strategic autonomy, ultimately. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, they lost the vote. So uh, you know, they're going to have to look at that, ultimately. <laughs> so, it's amazing, uh, it's amazing yeah. how much they hate democracy. They love democracy until it goes against what they want, and then they hate democracy. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, it never should have been put up to a vote, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway. Well, I must say, Sam, though, this Caesar Augustus, Caesar. you know, it, that's a bold name. And... It is bold to try and do a lager IPA hybrid. Uh, oh, however, I can't IPA say hybrid. I'm that impressed. I mean, it really just tastes like you mix a lager and an IPA together. Um, you have very bold ambitions. It was like, why, why would you do this anyway? If I want to drink IPA, I'm going to drink IPA. If I want to drink a lager, I'll drink a lager. Um, why mix them? Um, so, you know, it tastes fine. And, you know, it doesn't taste taste bad. <laughs> but it's just not, you know, something that doesn't, you know, blow my head off. Um, or yeah, does it blow your one, head off in a bad way? <laughs> I, well, no, it's not that bad. So it just tastes. Oh, it just tastes yeah. all right. I'm going to give this. I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to give it an A minus, uh, which is I think generous, generous with an A minus. Yeah, generous oh, with dear. an A minus. Oh, what would you make of your second one? Uh, so Citra Dreams from Captain Lawrence Brewing Company, hazy IPA. Uh, well, it, definitely hazy. It's definitely an IPA. Um, eh, it, you know what? The best description for, for this beer is, eh, 
Um, so with that, I think I'd probably just give it an A. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't great, but it, it wasn't horrible. I mean, A is still a decent rating. Uh, but it was oh, just yeah. Eh. yeah, big time. It was just eh. <laughs> yeah, flash in the pan, huh? Yeah, I mean, give me 20 minutes, I'll forget about it. Right, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Hopefully the one thing that uh, a the, the, the new independent self-controlled uh, Britain potentially with you know greater ties to the US hopefully one of the things that comes from from that uh, is um, perhaps that there isn't greater sharing between uh, the two countries on um, on on alcoholic or, or beer in specifically UK exporting more to, to the US to, to really educate them on what proper beer tastes like is a good thing, but hopefully we don't get much in return. I hope it's really a one-way sort of street there. Lots of the great, you know, microbreweries from up and down the United Kingdom, from Scotland, and Wales, and England, and over in Ireland, and all, you know, get all of those over to the, to the Americans and, and help them to understand what real beer tastes like. But if they feel like sending any back, they can maybe just chill uh, and cool their boots for a bit. <laughs> Having said that, well, I don't if, know. If, I mean, like you know, maybe or maybe like a beer wine exchange. Like we can take from the Napa Valley and some of the great great wine areas of of the United States, and we'll just send them the beer from over here. <laughs> well, when it comes to the likes of ale, I certainly think um, I, th- I think the English do ale incredibly well. Though True. I do think the craft, like what we've seen of the craft beer revolution, a lot of it started in the States, or a lot of it started with uh, breweries going for American styles. So New England IPAs and West Coast IPAs as well. True. I, I, did, just, I just, did just give a Californian IPA a double B, a double B plus. Right yeah, now. exactly. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I'm, not so, uh, I'm not so fearful. Uh, I, I, be- I would believe that those who are... Uh, who love their beer and love drinking it, uh, they will be discerning enough to not just drink whatever gets imported, even if it sucks. I think if it gets over here, it'll sell if it's good. And if it isn't, I don't think it will. So Do you know what? I think uh, it's probably one of those things as well, where is that I, uh, and maybe you, uh, have just not experienced enough of the quality that the US has to offer with their beer. I mean, they're such a big country with so many people it would be naive of me not to think that they have as much quality craft breweries that are doing exceptional beers, but they're just not reaching us here in the UK like they should. Maybe now they will. So maybe this will be an explosion of, of, of choice between oh, British yeah, I think so. and yeah, American I think so, beers. That, like, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've sampled enough to, to, to be excited about it. Also, one other thing would be the amount of bourbons that you can get in the States, which you oh, can't get here. Yes. Yes. Uh, and they've yeah. like I don't know if you um, if you like bourbon you like your Rittenhouse and and uh, what was the what was the other one I had the other day uh, what was it I think it was like Angel's Fury the, mm-hmm. there's some really good bourbons you get in the states but obviously yeah, getting them over definitely. here is a big issue so uh, it, hopefully there will be way more American bourbon available for us in the UK and uh, similarly the Scottish distillers will be able to sell way more whiskey over to the Americans well, seems like a, seems like a good enough trade that's a fair yeah, trade Sam, for I, me. Yeah, no. I think uh, I think it's very. It'll be very good for the booze, booms, and bust podcast if we <laughs> yeah. do get a really good trade deal with the US. Uh, let's hope so. Yeah. Now, Sam, I uh, before we wrap this up, um, in terms of any any closing remarks, I think the next one that we do of these will be in the new year. <gasps> it will be twenty twenty one. Episode twenty eight will be episode in you know two thousand the year of our Lord Anno Domini. 2021 so any closing remarks that we should say to uh, to summarize 2020 what do you think uh you know what it's it's not been as bad as it as people think 2020 has really not been as bad as people think and i i get that you know there's been some health public health issues but I actually don't think it's as been as bad as people think. And I think 2021 is going to be fucking off the chart. I think it's going to be sick. <laughs> it's good. Old people are going to get vaccinated. Not going to have to wear masks anywhere. Market's going to go bonkers. Uh, 
yeah, everything's going to, I reckon 2021 is going to be, it's going to kick off the new roaring 20s. I, I can't wait. I can't wait for what's coming next year. I'll tell you what, it's going to be wild. Yeah. In December 2019, my prediction for 2020s, and this is when, you know, the Wu flu was just more of a, more of a, a story that was circulating around China and it was, it was still on the periphery. But, you know, back then I predicted that 2020 was going to be the beginning of the roaring 20s. Mm. And I really questioned that when March happened. Um, but in the end, ultimately, you know, the, it, 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 it's still coming true. I mean, the thesis is still yeah. intact. Um, yeah, absolutely. See the NASDAQ do what's done, see Bitcoin do what's done um, is, you know, it's incredible. And it does Against feel like- all those headwinds too. Yeah, yeah, um, which is a which is you know a, a, a conversation in of itself. But it does feel like mm. this is roaring, roaring. The roaring period has begun. The issue is, you know, I I mean, I really I think twenty twenty has been awful for the likes of brewers, right? For anyone working in the hospitality industry, sure, uh, working sure. at our beloved pubs. I mean, this has been an utterly devastating year. Uh, and uh, you know, I would encourage everybody to buy more. You know, beer brewed in Britain. Uh, buy you know, more as as beer, absolutely. Yeah, buy more beer and uh, and do what you can to, to help them out. So you yeah. know, we we did our little quantitative ease with cheddar ales. Uh, we'll hopefully be doing more of those collaborations in the future, and yeah. making more of it and selling what you know it sold out in what like two days when we uh, when we went public with it. It was very successful. A lot of people liked it, and hopefully we'll do more of that. And uh, but yeah, it, for uh, for you know, it's Hogmanay coming up. If you are listening to this, make sure you buy a load of beer uh, from, you know, from <laughs> local breweries, from small breweries yeah. and help them out and, uh, and enjoy their beer, I would say. Uh, but yeah, that is, that is the, uh, the end of Booze, Booms and Busts for 2020. We shall wow. return in 2021. Uh, but yeah, until then, I wish you a very happy Hogmanay and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time.